Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear the story of someone strong enough to bear it all. The Naked Podcaster is a representation of freeing yourself, giving you permission to be real in all your quirkiness, baggage, struggles to success, and tragedy to triumph. I'm so excited you're joining the journey. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Hello and welcome to the Naked Podcaster. This is your host, Jen Taylor. Today I'm here with Amber Ezel. Amber, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Jen? Awesome. I don't realize always because I don't look too far ahead. So I'll look at my podcast interviews just shortly before I have them. I'm like, oh my gosh, I know Amber. (laughs) (laughs) So we have actually met before and that is pretty exciting. You have a website amberezelphotography.com. It'll be in the show notes, but you're a photographer and your site is beautiful. So tell me what you are, what you do and who you are. Thank you so much. Um, I, I'm a portrait photographer and I um, like to identify as having a style that's very photojournalistic. I love, I'm obsessed with capturing um, real emotion and real moments. And maybe that just means that I'm doing, doing goofy things with couples or families that I work with to try and actually get um, real emotion, real laughs, real connection. And so I'm always searching for those really in-between moments. I don't do heavy posing. I, um, I just, my favorite photos are the ones that are everything with emotion and just that bring out the real personality of my clients. Um, And so I, I shoot quickly, I shoot in the moment and I, um, I end up you know, not using a lot of photos, but I find the ones that just really, really, really speak to me. So I yeah, consider myself photojournalistic. Um, I love shooting weddings. I've done um, a lot of weddings, but I'm kind of steering more also to um, both families and headshots and boudoir as um, additional genres that I'm exploring. Boudoir is something that's new for me, but I'm loving it. I'm loving uh, the, what it does with empowering women, uh, the experience that I've had with it, it's just been such a beautiful, positive thing for women and as a way for them to feel uh, strong and confident and beautiful. Um, and it's also just for me, it's a fun new challenge for me. And But still with a very photojournalistic style, I'm just always looking for uh, the real types of photos and um, real personality. You have a picture on your website. It's I like my favorite family picture. <laughs> so it's it's mom, dad, two kids, right? Mom's uh-huh. it's very in the moment. Mom's looking at dad, dad's looking at the older little girl, but the littlest girl <laughs> just is making faces. And uh-huh. I love it because she's just uh, completely I mean, kids have an easier time with that anyway, but she's just totally being herself. So Oh yeah, yeah. That was my favorite when everyone's looking at each other and the kids are doing something silly and mom and yeah. dad is laughing and it's, like, or have no idea. Yeah. It's awesome. I'm glad you're doing more boudoir cause it's not on your website that I remember seeing, but that's, no. I, that's I just awesome. did the shoot with a woman that actually, she just had a double uh, mastectomy this week, um, sadly for breast cancer. And she, I did a shoot with her just last week. And so I'm working on those images and um, I, she hasn't even seen them yet. And so once I have a couple more, uh, yeah, a little bit more of a portfolio going, I'm going to pop those on on my site. I love it. I've done some of them and I chose a specific photographer because he did not pose. Mm -hmm. So it was much more art. I mean, Uh there were a couple that were posed, but most of it, it was like, oh, let's just do this. Let's wing it and do this. And best pictures. Every woman 
Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, because every person is different. Every woman is different. You kind of have to read the person and see how they feel and how they want to portray themselves in the images, but definitely winging it and being natural. That's awesome that you've had that experience. Yeah, and I love it. I've done a couple of them, but I mean, even when women are uncomfortable, first, I think if women are uncomfortable, that's a shame because there's beauty in everything. Absolutely. Right? And so uh, I love the... I love the fun, spontaneous. Wow, I look pretty good in that picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So take us back. Um, you live in Reno, Nevada, where I live now, but uh-huh. you were raised in uh, Orange County, California. Well, I'll start with the fact that I was yeah, born and raised Mormon, um, and I was in South Orange County. So a very, I don't know, an area where appearance and being a certain way is just so part of the culture down there. And I, I don't know, grew up, I don't know if you, Real Housewives of Orange County, it's the community, like literally right adjacent to there. I went to school with the kids of the, that show. And so it was a lot of pressure growing up in that area. And a lot of, um, you know, everything's based on looks and being a certain way. And, um, and then the Mormon church had its own kind of sh- extreme structure of being a certain way. And it wasn't until in eighth grade that um, my parents went through some serious marital stuff and uh, everything shook up with the church and they ended up leaving the church and it just put me in a position where I had to decide if I, like what I believed, because basically it was like, well, my our family's not going to be together in the highest degree of heaven and all this. And it just was very, it was very uh, catastrophic for me when my parents stopped going to church and it forced me to look inward and see what I truly believed. Um, and so there was a year or two, freshman, sophomore year in high school that I just did a lot of praying, journal writing, soul searching. And um, I was actually at EFY, I was at youth, um, a youth mm-hmm. camp essentially uh, for the church that I had um, just a really intense realization within myself of, oh my goodness, everyone, all religion is beautiful. Everyone's trying to get to feel spirituality. Everyone's trying to get closer to God essentially. And so I decided that the Mormon church was not the only way and that um, I could get close to spirituality and God within myself in my own way. Um, And so I basically, it was a very definitive moment in time where I decided I don't have to be Mormon anymore. I don't need to continue going to church. um, And I don't need this to be my only sole reality. And so after that, I mean, of course, you know, it's not that easy just to completely rid everything of, um, of what's ingrained in you culturally being raised in the church. Uh, and so years went by and I, you know, I went to college at Cal state Long Beach and, um, I still, you know, how to go through different, I mean, spiritually, yeah, there were different things I was going through, but I, so one thing I'll say that, you know, <laughs> um, based off of who I am today and who I've learned I am is that I, freshman year in college, I recognized I had um, feelings towards my female roommate. And I remember thinking, could I possibly be gay? And could I be a lesbian? And I decided that like, whoa, 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 that's not possible because I want to get married to a man. Like that's not possible. I want a family. I want to marry, I want a husband and I want kids. And so I literally have journal entries where I ask, Oh my gosh, what if I'm a lesbian? Because I'm having really intense feelings towards um, females. And then I basically was just like, no, 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 that's not possible. And so I, um, 
talked myself out of it, essentially. Uh, I studied abroad in Granada, Spain for a year, and I learned Spanish out there. Um, I consider that time in Spain being like just my first very, or maybe second, because maybe the Mormon church realization was my first. This was my second realization of myself of how to how to feel comfortable within myself and how to be somewhere foreign, not knowing the culture or the language and the intimidating factor of being somewhere essentially alone um, and learning to rely on myself. And so during that period of time, I, I strengthened a lot. I journal wrote a lot. I battled depression. I, um, I just learned a lot about myself. Uh, still was not in touch with the fact of my, of my sexuality. I was able to put that to the side somehow. Um, and then I, went, I mean, I went back for my last couple of years at Cal State Long Beach, um, ended up doing a Spanish major uh, because I was like, well, I want to continue Spanish. I wanted to continue learning it, um, being around it. Um, and then I decided when I graduated that, okay, it's, um, I'm ready to settle down. I'm ready. I didn't date any guys in college, but I was ready to settle down and get married. And um, because that's culturally what was essentially what I was brought up with. I mean, my I mean, everyone got married in their early 20s in the Mormon church. And so I decided that I would um, start dating heavily online. And so I actually ended up meeting my ex-husband online. And when I met him, he was perfect. He checked all the boxes. He's an amazing, silly, lighthearted guy. And um, he's the father to our, our daughter. And I couldn't ask for a better father for him. And yeah, we ended up obviously getting married and um, it was just basically like perfect. He checked all the boxes and I um, went to, I ended up working with my dad at Merrill Lynch. Um, It was 2008. The job market was pretty horrible and I had a Spanish degree and I wasn't totally dead set on being a Spanish teacher or an interpreter. And um, so I decided, okay, I'll join my dad's team at Merrill Lynch the opportunity to um, become financial advisor. I got my series 766 and started marketing, joining different groups and trying to find clients, which as a 21 year old female um, with no, with very minimal uh, marketing or finance background, that was quite intimidating. And it also just wasn't, it just wasn't my passion. It wasn't for me. Um, But after two years, um, I, I wanted to leave to just become a photographer. That was my and we, my husband, my ex-husband, and I got married during that time. My, um, I wanted to be a wedding photographer. That was my dream job at the time. I remember my dad asking me, well, if you're not going to work here, what do you want to do? I said, honestly, I want to be a photographer. But I bought a camera and I started taking a couple pictures pictures, but very quickly was like, well, I don't, I mean, I don't even know where to start. Like, I don't, I'm not an expert photographer. I know I've always liked photography. When I was in eighth grade, my dream job was to be a National Geographic photographer. Um, <laughs> it's all many, of our dream. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that everyone's dream? I'm pretty yes. sure. Every, yes. every photographer's absolutely dream is that dream. But I was like, that's what I want to do. So um, anyway, I've got, I was, I was always into photography from age eighth grade on. I'd always loved it, uh, but never became an expert at it. Didn't understand how to shoot manual or um, SLR or anything Um, up until around then I started playing around with my camera but I decided okay actually what's a more realistic job like I can't just go be a photographer and um, so I decided to go back and get my teaching credential and I did that I ended up getting my master's in teaching at UC Irvine Um, and I quit Merrill Lynch right before that and Um, became a Spanish teacher. And I loved it, actually. It was, I loved the high energy aspect of it. I, like, being at a desk is very hard for me. And so running around the 
classroom and being silly with kids and having fun. It was, it's just exhausting. It's a ton of work, constant grading, constant everything. And, um, I, and then of course, you know, the pay is just not stellar. And then, um, I did that for two years, ended up having our daughter around that time. I was a stay at home mom for two years. Uh, during that time I picked up my camera and started shooting, um, started shooting family portraits and then I got into second shooting and then I started doing weddings all while being a stay-at-home mom and I loved it I was like this is amazing this was my dream and what I will say about photography and this is <laughs> I feel like I'm just doing everything and I don't know there's so much um, it's hard to know what to elaborate on but with photography I once I started doing families it just I all of a sudden made a decision I'm going to be a professional photographer. I'm going to do this. And I remember telling my ex-husband, like, this is my goal. I'm going to be a professional wedding photographer as soon as I can. And so I started with families. I started um, second shooting with other professional photographers so that I can learn the ins and outs of shooting weddings. I um, loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I felt like I had pretty good work for being like for not being in it for that long. And, um, but during that time, I actually started recognizing, um, problems within myself, uh, my sexuality, realizing I was attracted to women. And all of a sudden I was, um, completely freaked out and devastated of what that could mean to for me and my ex-husband. Let's go back before we go forward. Okay, because yeah, I'm kind of having I'm some like, experience. It's, you're good. You're awesome. Having quite a bit of experience myself in the Mormon church, but also just in really strict religions, it's not super easy to extricate yourself from that situation. No, it is not. No. How difficult back then, I have so many questions, um, but how difficult was that back then for your parents and then for you? And they let you come to your own decision, even though they had decided to stop. Yes, um, they did. In fact, my decision ended up actually inspiring my dad. So my mom was the one that she was like, I'm out of the church. She was completely, basically their marriage was in shingles. And basically she said, I'm, I'm leaving the Mormon church. My dad essentially just left. I shouldn't say left for my mom, but it kind of was that it was like, he recognized that they could not stay married if he stayed in the church. And so my dad to this day, he culturally, I say is Mormon. He misses the Mormon church. He, was just completely, it was just within him. And he left to save the marriage and he doesn't know, you know, what's true or whatever. And for, for, I mean, no one does. <laughs> and for me, when I recognized within myself that I didn't have to be Mormon, I came back from that EFY camp. I literally, I kept a journal just all day long, writing, 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 writing. And I just, I remember walking through the trees, getting goosebumps, having overwhelming joy and peace of like, oh my gosh, I don't have to be Mormon. Everyone here is trying to be close to what, to God and being close to spirituality and everyone's just trying. And this is one way and it's okay. But this doesn't have to be the way for me. And so I told this story to my parents, so excited. Like, this is the decision I came up with. And my dad ended up having his own spiritual moment that was, Amber was right. He tells me that he was in the shower and he had this almost like 
crazy, like higher level experience where he, I I love the story and Amber was right. It's awesome. (laughs) But um, he, he realized like my story inspired him essentially that he was able to let go of the Mormon church. It's, it's really difficult to do that. Even when you feel really comfortable with it. Oh yeah. It really is. It really is. Right. And I, and it's a, it's a, it's an all or nothing reality and there's no wiggle room and it's so ingrained and part of you that I just found like, you don't know, you have to figure out where you end and it begins and what parts of it um, are, are, can still be part of you. And it's not like, Oh, I'm picking, I'm being the Mormon yeah. I want to be because I'm picking and choosing. Cause there are other religions that are equally as strict and you don't get to pick and choose, but what parts of it are still inspiring to you. And it's okay to still be inspired yeah. by things in lots of different religions. And, but that's like, that's a journey. That's really tough. It's very really? cool that your parents were on board with you. Yeah. I yeah. know when I was done, I was done. Yeah. I was done and then I became, and then when people would say stuff to me, I became angry yeah. because you're now you're crossing my line. I'll respect you if you give me the same respect. It's just, it's so ingrained. So that's really great. Now you're the oldest of four. Correct. So how was it for the, how, how you were in eighth grade when this happened? Cause that's really hard time. Oh, it's a really hard time. And I, my family, we were like the perfect little, I shouldn't say perfect, but it's like, we were very, my parents were very, very strict in the Mormon church. And like, we couldn't play with friends on Sunday. We couldn't go swimming. We couldn't wear two piece bathing suits, like completely full on Mormon family and eighth grade. I mean, I remember, I mean, that was um, the nine 11 was when that, that same year. So it was a very devastating year. I had practically no friends. I was a very, I was in a very vulnerable place that year. And then um, I find out about my parents leaving the church as well as my parents being on the rocks with their marriage. We didn't know if they were going to stay together. And so, um, but yeah, it was, it was during that time. And leave, it, just like you said, I mean, when you leave something like that, especially when you're, I mean, a young child, it's like, it's just your entire world. It's your entire reality. And I'm all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, but I want my family to all to be together in heaven. And you're told that your family, like, I mean, at least, I mean, my understanding at least was that when you, you're not all sealed in the temple, that you can't all be together in the highest degree of heaven. And it's just, it was really devastating. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And it's really hard. And I know that uh, when I left the same church, I had those conversations with my kids. Uh-huh. And, and it's kind of, I'm, I'm kind of the, the, the person that's like, you know what? I've done all the things that I'm supposed to do in the Mormon church. I'm a good person. I'm pretty sure we don't have all the answers and God will figure it out. And I'm sorry that that's difficult yeah. to, you know, but it's scary. It's, it is scary. You're, it's like everything, because it's such a huge part of your life. It's like, well, if everything in my life is based off of that and now that's not there, what is yeah. it based on? Right. Yeah. You feel like you don't have an anchor. No, no anchor at all. So I completely get that. And you're in eighth grade and you're the oldest of four. How did the other three siblings take it? They were, so I was, me and the sibling closest to me, Heather, um, I mean, it was hardest on us. The younger two were like, cool, we don't have to go to church anymore. You know, like they, at that age, it's like they were able to, I don't know. It just, for them, it wasn't as, it's interesting having conversations with them today. Like the younger two were like, the church was just not as big of a deal for them. Um, but me and Heather, you know, we're three years apart. It, it was, it was hard. It was really, really hard on her. Yeah. Too. 
I mean, we remember like our, my parents were drinking wine in the closet and it was like, oh, our parents are getting drunk in the closet. They're sneaking alcohol. And it was like <laughs> it was a devastating thing. And we remember pounding on the door of like, oh, we know you're in there drinking. And it was just so like devastating. It just feels like your parents are just, I mean, sinning and falling apart. And so, yeah, it was very, very hard on, on us. You know? Right. And I had kids, you know, cause I was like 33 or 34 when I left the Mormon church and I never drank in front of them until just probably five years ago uh-huh. because, and that like my oldest daughter's 22. I remember her being 21 and going to a Mexican restaurant being like, will you completely freak if I get a margarita? And she's like, no, because, you know, I mean, she had been out of it for so long by then. Like, it's about time you admitted that you're joining the party, you know, because I went the opposite way. Like, I have to, I have to not be part of the Mormon church, but follow some of the rules as well as I can because there's no reason freaking the kids out and having them think what you like, you're going to go to hell. And still like, you know, my kids are all like high school and older and they're like, so you're getting drunk. And I'm like, dude, I've been drunk like twice in my entire life. Like, before the I am yeah. not burning in the fires of hell because right. of this beer. No, you're totally in the church. It's just like this sin. You know, you're just getting drunk. And it's like <laughs> such a big deal. It's such a big deal, which is uh, why I, and so I get it from your parents' perspective and from your perspective, it's a super hard thing to navigate, yeah, to kind yeah. of let go and be yourself. But not completely tip the scales, but your parents stayed married and your dad had his kind of like epiphany with you. Yeah. And again, that was, you know, I was in eighth or ninth grade, ninth or 10th grade at that point. Um, when my dad had that epiphany with me and everything. And since then, I mean, my parents, yeah, are still not Mormon. My dad still talks about church. All of, all of my dad's family is Mormon. Um, and so my mom was a convert, actually. And so she, she joined the church like around age yeah, 16, 16, yeah. Um, but my dad just has all the Mormon family and the culture behind it. And so, um, you know, he still says, I wonder if it's true and who knows and no one really knows. And so, um, but as far as the Mormon church goes, yeah, it's not, it's not in our lives, not my parents' lives, and um, which I'm grateful for because... Yeah. Yeah, my recent realizations would have been much more devastating if they were active Mormon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it, you, you, but there's a lot of transition. The next thing I want to ask you, you mentioned being in college and how cool that you went to Spain and you, yeah. you did all that stuff, right? Like that's yeah. really great. Yeah. But, and you've, how, when did you, wait, first let's ask, when did you start journaling and are you still journaling and have you kept all of them? I have kept all of them. Yes. I started journaling. I love this. Because at this point, it's like a time capsule for me. It's not only a meditative thing for me, but it's also like a time capsule. I can go back. I love it. Um, I started sophomore or freshman year in high school. So honestly, I mean, since the beginning of all of this, it's really cool to like see my first two entries ever. And I was just reading them a couple months ago and it's like the most naive writing. It's like, school's going pretty well. My friends are, Vanessa, da, 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 da. It's very, and then like a couple months later, it's like, you know, shit starts happening. And it's, um, it's, it's pretty cool to see the progression um, of life. And it's like my first boyfriend. So I had one major boyfriend in high school and I actually say that he was, the only man I, I shouldn't say this for my ex-husband's sake, but like I was absolutely infatuated with him. Um, with Brandon was his name and just completely puppy love over him. And um, he's quite 
feminine and artistic and emotional and everything. But um, anyway, so I kept my journal all through him and the devastation of us ending and all of that. And just like a complete obsession to like, we're going to get married one day and he's, we're going to be together forever. And I completely, it's just funny. It's, it's so fun to go back and see like your mindset. And you're like, oh, I'm like, oh, honey, like, you know, you know, you know, you know, you your pseudo maturity. Oh, my gosh. I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Like, I just can't believe it. Or like the amount of emotional dependency I had on him, like, was intense. I'm like, oh, my goodness. If I was my own daughter, I'd be like, oh, sweetheart, please don't like get too obsessed. Whatever. But, um, but the reality is, yeah, like I was leaving the Mormon church and I, I think I clung to him, clung to him. Like really, I, I feel like I went and actually I left the Mormon church while I was dating him. So yeah, I think that the emotional dependency on him was really, really high because it was like, I went from the Mormon church to him. Yeah. And it was like, the only thing of comfort and stability that I had, like heaven forbid, I'd be on my own with nothing. Oh my goodness. But you know, that came, that came later. I wasn't ready yet. (laughs) Uh, And I think that's common at that age too, that codependency, which is crazy. And, and you have this ridiculous idealism that I wish we could keep a little more of as we get older instead of turning to cynicism, but like it's very idyllic, you know, I'm skipping in rainbows forever and everyone else is dumb, but we've got this figured out. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. See, I never kept my journals. I never wanted to. I didn't journal quite as much as you did, but no, I, I mean, no, I, I didn't want to see that, but, uh, someone else finding them or was it more like you just didn't yeah, and that leads me to a, a kind of my next question. Yes, I didn't want people to read them, and um, I felt like I th- I know that one process is when you write down really really tough stuff, and then you can throw it in the fireplace, like to let it yeah. go a little bit. Yeah. I think for me it was cathartic to write about it and then be done with it, get rid of it. But I don't have the the hindsight that you do, so. You know, I mean, there's yeah. pros and cons of every way you yeah, do. I think cool. that's so cool. I want to talk about sex. Uh-huh. Um, and I also want to talk about depression. Okay. So I don't know when you noticed the depression because you said um, in college and being alone. Mm-hmm. And you're still getting passive a lot of the Mormon church stuff, which is no premarital sex, no alcohol, no drugs, no coffee. Mm-hmm. So uh, as a normal high school, college student, mm-hmm. You've got to be curious about that stuff. And you didn't yeah. notice your any any changes in sexuality till your first year in college. So jump in on whichever one of those, which came first and how you want to tackle them. Yeah. Um, so again, I mean, I was so sheltered in the Mormon church. Like all my friends were, you know, starting to have sex. And it, for me, it was like, and now in hindsight, I can see why I didn't care because I just, I mean, I was like not boy crazy. It's like, I just didn't care about sex. I was like, why don't I care? I'm like, "Ah, I just didn't get it. Um, and so in high school, I mean, my first boyfriend in high school, we, um, did start exploring. I mean, we ultimately did end up having sex. I was, I was eight, uh, 18 when I did. And so it was later on. Um, but still we were exploring. We basically had sex, um, during high school. And so I, um, yeah, leaving the Mormon church, I was able to let myself start 
exploring that. And um, he was very, you know, respectful and which I'm very grateful for and that I never, we never did anything that I wasn't comfortable with. But um, for the most part, I was totally okay with all of that. Um, And so but something happened. I now like, I think back and I'm just like the actual concept of having sex. Like once we got to that point, it was pretty much like you're doing everything else. You're doing oral. Um, I didn't really have the desire to have actual sex. Like once it got to that point, I was okay with not. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't actually until I had a, um, I guess I, I did date. I didn't put this one in notes, but yeah, I did date, um, Dave, we, uh, in high, in college, um, he was actually the first person I had sex with and, um, he actually ended up passing away from a, um, from a a serious illness called aplastic anemia. We dated for only two months. It was a really just sweet two month period. And it was three months, it was two months and he went to the hospital. He was just a sweetheart. He was completely just this like just sweet, kind soul. And so I, we ended up, um, he was the first person I had sex with, as I mentioned. And, um, I don't remember being completely, absolutely like desiring needing sex with him, but like, it was a very just intimate relationship. Um, and yeah, when he went to the hospital, it just, I mean, that's a whole nother story, but yeah, I just got way too intense for me at that period. Uh, I wasn't, convinced that I mean, we were dating for two months um, and then his illness got more and more serious and I knew I was leaving to go study abroad in Spain um, a couple months later. Um, he actually passed away only a month into me being in Spain, which spiraled me into depression as well. Got it. Um, One of the reasons I ask is because I'm, I'm not lesbian, uh-huh. but that doesn't mean that I enjoyed sex in the beginning either. Uh-huh. I don't think it's abnormal to like have sex with a a woman with a man and be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> am I, mi- I remember just thinking like, am I missing something? Right. Uh, yeah, I was, I was missing the orgasm, but you know, right. I mean like there's a lot to it. And at that age, sexuality is so confusing anyway. I didn't know if you got any, any red flags or just. Yeah. I would say it was just, yeah. I mean, eh. It's just whatever. It was eh, exactly. I didn't really care for it. I mean, I've had sex with more guys than I would like to admit, <laughs> you know, it, but all the time, I mean, not a lot and I count my hands, but it's still like, why do I have sex all those times if I didn't actually really, really want it? You know, mm. it was oh, just that's kind of common. like, yeah, unfortunately yeah, I mean, it's common. It's like, you yeah, have a it's like, oh, well, this is the next thing we do. And okay. And I remember that's when something clicked for me. And I was like, that's when I started thinking, I want to settle down. I want to get married. Cause I didn't like that things were starting to spiral. It was like, I was in college and date a guy and you meet a guy at a bar. And I mean, that only happened like within a period of like a month or two, all of a sudden it was like, Ooh, I've had, I had sex with three guys this last month. And now I'm already up to the number six. And it's just, yeah, you know, it just happened. It started happening like that. And it was just like, no, 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 no. I wasn't even like necessarily wanting it. And it was just, I didn't like that because I never really cared that much. So, and that's not indicative of not being, of being straight or not, but no, I was just, so you, there was no issue there. And then the depression, did you notice the depression? I have found in my experience that the depression came from not being able to admit what you really knew somewhere inside, like at least absolutely. subconsciously. Right. So that's not what I'm kind not. of digging at. You still have lingering Mormon church baggage where 
maybe maybe it's not rearing its ugly head at all. Right, exactly. But like it's one more thing, one more thing that's totally against a very strict religion, even if you've left it. And I just know from my own experience that that can that can rear its ugly head every uh-huh. once in a while. Yeah. And then on top of that, having feelings for a woman where you completely talk yourself out of it. Yeah. Repressing serious stuff. Right. And so then you say depression and I'm like, so where did it come from? Lots of places. So this guy dies. That's a big, that's a really big deal to have a person die. Yeah. And it just, I mean, that was, that was really, really hard. And then I was already before that very homesick. Um, I mean, I didn't expect to get that homesick. I'm, I've always been an adventure seeker. I've always been fearless, whatever, but I get over there and it's like, Ooh, I don't know anyone and I don't know the language and I, and everything's uncomfortable. And I'm living on this, in this flat with like six random people that are all dirty and gross and my room's cold. And it's just, it wasn't comfy. It was like out of your comfort zone completely. And then all of a sudden I'm just like feeling very alone. And then, you know, Dave died. And and then I, it's just building up. Um, and so a lot of, but I think like you said, there's a lot of, um, there was a lot of repressed things going on. My parents were going through a second marital crisis where they were very close to getting divorced. Um, so that was going on. So I actually see it as, I mean, I had the opportunity to go for six months or a year and I'm like, I want to go for a year. I now wonder, I'm like, Oh, was I trying to run away from my problems? I mean, I had a lot of shit going on. I was, I had just admitted in my journal, maybe I could be gay, but no, wait, no, no, no. And then my parents tell me they're getting divorced. And then I'm like, I'm going to Spain. I'm going there for a year and I'm leaving. And I get to Spain and it's like hard stop. Holy crap. This is serious stuff. I'm by myself in a foreign country. I was 18 years old. Like it was just intimidating. It was a lot. Um, and so that's when I, I started journal writing fiercely out there. I just journal wrote literally like on days that I didn't have school. I just wrote and wrote and wrote and would walk around the city in different places and different viewpoints and um, explore what was going on within me. And that really, really helped me. And it also helped me once I was able about three months in fully start embracing the culture and the language. So I remember I started picking up Spanish. I was all of a sudden, I felt like I was fluent. I lived with a Spanish woman for the second semester. And so I was speaking with her every day. And I all of a sudden just found my groove out there. First semester was choppy. Second semester, I was learning myself. Um, I, I got a hoop nose ring and straight across bangs and dressing very just like hippie, edgy. I don't get it. And I just started you know, just doing my thing and feeling very comfortable out there and speaking Spanish. And, um, so I kind of got through a lot of the depression that way, but I think a lot of it was repressed stuff and running away from my parents' problems and from repressed, you know, sexuality and everything. Everything. Yeah. And someone dying. I mean, like, yeah, it's a lot. So move forward. You're, you're now you find your groove, which is one of the things I was going to ask you about if, and then you enjoy the rest of your time in Spain. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you come, you come back and, and now you meet your husband. So jump in there. Yeah. And to me, and that was, it was about another year and a half. Probably I came back. Um, I had housemates and uh, I remember at that period I was 19 or 20 and so all my friends were 21. Everyone was going out to the bars and I had just gone, spent a whole year in Spain going to bars and stuff and coming back of like, I can't go out and have a glass of wine at a bar. Like what the heck? It just, you know, that, that was kind of a weird year. Um, I felt kind of just alone, like 
um, didn't have a lot of friends. Um, and yeah, and then I was working at Joe's Crab Shack as a server. That was kind of indicative of that period of time. And then, yeah, that's when I decided I'm ready to, I'm graduating soon. I want to, I want to start dating. And so I wasn't meeting guys at college. I hadn't dated anyone since Dave, which was first semester freshman year. Um, and I, yeah, just went online and weeded through a lot of guys and went on some dates and was just like, ugh, this is just not fun. I don't like this. I stopped the online dating profile and then one day, or I stopped going on it and then one day I popped back on and I saw, this is maybe a month or two into having the account, but I got over it very quickly. Um, I went back on and I saw, um, I saw Justin, my ex-husband, and it was like he had studied abroad in Germany. He had a bunch of nieces and nephews, a bunch of photos that seemed really familiar to me. And it turns out, I don't think I've mentioned this, that he also was raised Mormon. Did I mention that? No, but that's very, oh, see, that makes a lot of sense though. Yeah. And actually my my current partner, she was also raised Mormon. So I found just like we said, I mean, there's a certain familiarity of um, the church, of the culture like we were talking about. I mean, there's certain pieces of certain values that were still very important to me. And so seeing him with his yeah. nieces and nephews and seeing him like being wholesome and, you know, wearing a tie in one of his photos and, you know, not just being some bro or some guy that just, <laughs> that I was seeing so much of at school, something about him was charming and wholesome. And, um, I met him and, you know, our dates were very sweet. We threw a Frisbee at the beach and he, you know, he made, we did like homemade pizzas and it was just like, it was just very sweet. And, um, it was kind of a rarity at that time of like actually going on dates and doing things together and not just going to a bar and, um, he was quirky and silly and fun and just had a certain sort of sense of humor that reminded me of my dad. Actually. I remember saying that from the very beginning. Um, I never was just like absolutely like goo goo gaga over him. Like, Oh, but like I, it was just sweet and happy and everything felt right. Felt good. Um, Not only that, that familiarity and being raised in the same religion. I mean, yes, there's things that you like about it that you can, discuss you can say things that will and it makes sense but but your baggage makes sense too and and unless you know like my husband was raised really strict catholic so even though it's two different religions yeah the the baggage side of it is very similar you know absolutely absolutely. so every once in a while things come up and i'm like is this little little catholic boy baggage speaking here you know but you know we can relate on that i would i get that that relating like that must have been like such a relief it it was yeah and then actually to be honest with my current partner i have it much more with her um but justin um he he kind of left the church just out of convenience because he didn't like going to church. So for him, it wasn't so much of this like, Oh, this like decision. It was, it kind of just happened. And so we didn't relate on that level as much, but still like culturally we did like very similar values and very similar. um, Yeah. Like the importance of family and spending time together. And I don't know. I just, there was definitely certain sense of familiarity. Absolutely having gone through something similar. So you guys get married and Uh you're working at Merrill Lynch with your dad. Uh And then you're seeing you're you have a baby, you stay home for two years. You're really photography continues to come up. Uh 
in your life. Yep. Okay. So let's jump in there again. I think we've caught up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, teaching in there, but that was, you know, a blip of time. Oh, teaching. Yeah. Yeah, That's interesting. But I think that always ties it. You know what? I always find that there are themes in our Mm -hmm. lives. And so you teaching other people to not be uncomfortable, like you were in Spain, just by learning another language that there's a possibility. And being a teacher doesn't makes you a great photojournalist too. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I hadn't thought about that. Absolutely. You're dealing with a lot of raw, different types of personalities and, um, yeah, there's just a certain yeah. sort of realness to it. There's nothing sugarcoated at all about it. Um, right. yeah. So no, yeah. Teaching was, was great. And I, I enjoyed it. I also did acting, um, when I was younger. And so I love, I actually love presenting. I love being in front of people. And so, um, I loved yeah, getting kids engaged and doing skits and all of that. So no, I had a lot of fun parts with that, but um, yeah. And then I ended up, um, you know, ended up having our daughter and I was able to stay at home with her for uh, a couple of years. And then during that, like, I, and so I'll take off from there. And so during that time is when, I mean, I always figured I'd go back to teaching, but when I started getting into photography, it was like, Oh, this is my groove. And I just, I just loved it. And I, again, like just, I remember the conversation and telling Justin, telling him, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it happen. And that's something I've always, that's something I've proven to myself. And that I mentioned in interviews, if I ever go to an interview, it's just, if, when I decide I'm going to do something, I do it and I make it happen. And so I decided I'm going to be a professional photographer. I'm a professional wedding photographer. And I mapped out how I would get there. And I knew it began with uh, a second shooting. And I got the family shoots down. I mastered everything. I was obsessed with learning everything photography, everything from the technical parts of it to the artistic parts of it. I was listening. I remember um, walking the stroller and jogging and listening to podcasts nonstop about photography, um, trying to get better and just constantly learning. Um, so I was in a really intense state of learning for um, for that year, that first year in photography. And yeah, and then I started second shooting. And that's where I was like, Oh my gosh, I love weddings. I love shooting weddings. It's just, I do really well again, like kind of like with teaching when it's a high energy, go, go fast pace, like you're on your feet and you're thinking on the spot and there's nothing boring about it. Like you are just going and it is intense. I mean, you're for eight to 10 hours, just like on and you are ready to follow whatever happens, anything unexpected and being able to take beautiful, quick photos, regardless of the circumstances. So I, I loved it from the very start. Um, and so, yeah, and then I, um, started getting into weddings. And like I mentioned, that's kind of when our, our crisis started and something else I didn't mention in there was that I actually, one day I woke up with uh, ear ringing, like a ringing in my ear. And to this day, it's still there. But in the very beginning, it was so intense that I thought I had a brain tumor because there's brain tumors that run in my family. Like, And so I had like this period of time where I was like, oh, I think I'm gay and I might have a brain tumor. And it just <laughs> felt like the world was falling apart. It kind of is. Well, I mean, you're married to this man that you really, at the very, you know, you love, care about, respect, have a child with, plan on being with forever. And you're like, by the way, um, I'm actually gay. 
Yeah, freaking curveball. And of course, right. my fear is, is this just a life crisis? Like, who just makes up one day that they're gay? All along, I told him I might, or I'm at least bisexual, but like, he was really like, eh, like, let's not talk about that too much. And I would bring it up randomly, like, I was really, I really had a heavy crush on my roommate in college. And I would, I would bring that up. And I knew that was a thing. And I knew it was a big thing. But I, for some reason, like just was able to deny it. And it was when I started having crushes towards other women. And then all of a sudden, and also I had no sex drive after having a baby, like at all, like no touching (laughs) because it was, um, I had like healing and I don't, for some reason, regardless, sex was painful. And once it came back, I realized it came back only towards women. And I was like, oh, this is an issue. And that's when I, I remember just laying in bed being like, holy crap, holy shit. Like, this is really serious stuff. Like, what if I'm actually gay? And that's when that just all spiraled. And I had a couple weeks of panic. Like, I called a psychiatrist. I was like, <gasps> like, I need to talk to someone. I was like, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, life crisis. Oh, all these pieces coming together. And I'm such an honest person. I can't keep secrets. I don't, I mean, I can keep secrets, but I can't, if if there's something going on within me and I know it's going to affect our marriage, like I couldn't keep it from him too long. I knew I needed to tell him what was going on. And so I actually took him out to dinner knowing I needed to let him know what was going on. And it had only been about a month that I was in my head with this crisis and he could tell something was wrong. He kept asking, are you okay? Are you okay? And I took him out to dinner and I told him over dinner, like, this is what's going on. I am not sure what this means for us, but I'm realizing I'm more attracted to women than men. And he's like, well, like how much so? And I'm like, he's like, are you saying you think you might actually be gay? And I'm like, I don't know. I think I might be. And basically our crisis started and it was like, I drove down to Southern California cause I had a trip planned literally the next morning. But that whole night we were up just crying and shaking. I'm like, what the hell does this mean for us? Because we, I mean, we loved each other and we had, you know, all of our future. We had a new house or a new you know, townhouse in the Bay area. And, um, you know, our new baby, we were talking about having a second and all of a sudden this came out of nowhere as it seemed, at least it was building within me, but yeah. And so that started and then, you know, my ear ringing was happening all during that time. And so I hadn't gotten results back from the MRI. I just felt like life was falling apart. It completely was falling apart. And now actually I see how it flares up during stressful times. I think it was all related in a, in a way. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I mean it, the doctors think maybe it's Meniere's and to a degree or whatever, cause I still, I still have it. But during that time, the ear ringing was to a point that I couldn't I it was like I needed to curl in a ball kind of bad it was really really bad so so lots of stuff I'll let you (laughs) you went through therapy which was great you jump in you're not in denial at this point anymore but I mean I imagine it would be confusing and not what you want no this is not the conversation that you want to have and 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 he's crushed he's hurt yeah it's certainly not what he wants to hear. How much longer did it take until the, I, we know that there was a divorce. Yeah. So how much longer did it take before that occurred? And how was the process in between there? And how did you really determine like, yeah, this is a hundred percent who I am? 
Yeah. Um, so after that, because the earringing took over, I actually put more of the focus on that and put the, the, the gay thoughts and everything. I shouldn't say the gay thoughts, but you know, I put that crisis to the side. We moved to, we also were in the process of moving. So we moved to Reno. I was able, we were able to put the, that other crisis to the side and just like ignore it. And maybe just Justin, I think was like, eh, we're just going to pretend like that's not there for a little bit. Came to Reno and it was, I don't know, two weeks into being in Reno. So this whole period of time was maybe three months at this point. And I woke up from a really, really intense dream um, about a woman that I, like just a random woman actually. And I woke up that morning and was like, this is real. I know I'm gay. And it was like, crap, like shit. Like I, I wanted this to not be the thing, but this is a real thing. And I knew if I brought it back up to him again, that our marriage would be in shingles. Like I knew at that point it was serious. And so it was only a matter of two days before I told him again what was going on. I was all over websites on emptyclosets.com. It's a site of everyone in similar boats. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is totally my experience. And I had completely convinced myself this was going on. And I, um, yeah. And so I entered, I actually didn't enter therapy until I got to Reno. And um, it's okay. And I um, started therapy. And that's when, I mean, I remember shaking in therapy and just like, how is this? like just completely terrified. Um, and so it was about the summer. And so, I mean, even though it felt like forever, it was complete misery. It felt like hell limbo, just complete horribleness. Um, so a period of, I don't know, May through July. I mean, we were, I remember it was my birthday weekend. So end of July and he, I mean, this is totally expedited because it was complete just misery of him crying and night of me crying and so many conversations, so much pain. And um, we decided late July that a separation was probably going to need to happen and that he was becoming more willing to let me go and explore this because like this period of, I mean, imagine two to three months of intense crisis misery it's like at some point you have to let things go a little bit and so I was in you know crisis during that period of time and yeah July we started having those conversations we had a trip booked to Hawaii together actually so we went to um, Kauai and we decided on that trip that we definitely would separate and that was in August so it was only essentially the summer I mean a long summer very long summer. Um, and we also lived between like four different places during that period of time because we lived in like two different temporary housing situations. And then like, uh, just, we had, we were moving the whole summer. It was just the weirdest time we were moving and in crisis. And, um, and so, yeah, we just agreed to separate in August. We actually, I moved out, went to an apartment in September, late September, early October, maybe. Um, got my haircut sometime around there. And that was like basically completely definitive thing for him. Like, Oh, she got a haircut. She, this is real. <laughs> that is what happened. Okay. See, I've had my hair shaved before and it didn't do it for me, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it started yeah, down to my chest and then it, I got it cut. Like it was actually a really cute cut. I just, it wasn't enough for me apparently. Um, of it, like a little A-line cut. And that was the cut, the first one that he was like, oh, and (laughs) so doesn't mean anything, but okay. (laughs) He was so attached to my long hair and he just, 
I don't know. He's like, it's actually really cute. I kind of think it's sexy, but you're a different person. And well, yeah, but it's yeah. not because of the hair. You know, how yeah. long did it take before the divorce was final and how have things kind of resolved? Now, also, you've been doing photography for a couple of years at that point. So catch me up with being able to do that full time. Yeah. Okay. So during that period of time, I, um, yeah, so I was separated and I was booking weddings during that period of time too, for the following summer. Uh, I wasn't sure what my job trajectory would look like because I knew a divorce was probably on its way. And I was really terrified of the idea of being full-time at that point. And especially just having gone through the divorce and all of that uncertainty and, you know, we have our daughter and I wasn't, able to, I I was so close to going full-time at that point anyway, but it just felt like that might break me because it was like, I needed stability. I kept saying, all I need is benefits and stability. Like I just needed expected, something expected. And so I, um, even though I was booking weddings for the following season, I also was, um, let's see, what was I doing? I was teaching at a I was teaching at a middle school that was honestly a horrible, I'm not going to even say the school names. It was a horrible school situation. And it was, it was very, very difficult and very stressful. And it was only a halftime position. So I knew that it wasn't going to be lasting for me. Um, so during that period of time, I was, I started dating. I actually met my current partner really, really quickly in the game during that period of time, because I, um, I figured, okay, if I'm going to be separated because I'm gay, I probably should date. And that was the agreement that we both could date. And, um, I went on a few different dates and ended up meeting, meeting her very quickly, um, and started off very slow, but, um, but still it's like, (laughs) that obviously worked out. Um, and during that time I, yeah, I was finishing up teaching, doing photography, editing, um, weddings from the previous, had some editing going on the previous, like just different shoots throughout the year. And, um, yeah, and then just booking for the following year. And then it was, I actually worked at Merrill Lynch again, just as that stability, as I mentioned. So when I went from that teaching job, I went to Merrill Lynch and I worked at Merrill Lynch for a year and a half again, just because I needed that expected income. And it's I, hard to go full time in something like very, this. Very, very hard. I understand the security and stability. Yeah. Yeah, especially just having gone through the divorce, I was just like, I need something stable. And so when I got, I was using experience from six years prior, I was able to find a job that was, it's appeared to be a really great job with great opportunity. And I was very grateful because I was using very previous experience with financial advising and I actually got registered again. So I started, I studied for the series seven and 66 a second time, passed them both times, miserable, miserable test, miserable period of studying. And that was pretty much my entire last winter. And, um, yeah, and so once I got through that, that all, I, all along, all, I'm like, all I want to do is photography, and I was hoping that, you know, money and security, that I could just be okay with that, but very quickly, I'm just like, no, I want to be doing photography full-time. I did the weddings, I edited them, and did, you know, I took beautiful photos, and some of my favorite weddings I've ever done were just last, yeah, you know, were during that period of time when I was also working at Merrill Lynch, but I also knew, you know, I had a long distance relationship. I had my daughter. I had a full-time job. I could not do the amount of photography I wanted to do. I wanted to do more than that. I couldn't, like, just a couple weddings a year, a few weddings a year was not, like, enough. And especially because even those few weddings were very stressful to have to edit afterwards and do all the post-processing. And so 
it wasn't until, um, I don't know, six months ago that I was hit with almost again, like a spiritual realization of this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like this has always been what I wanted to be doing. And I needed to just put fear to the side and do it. And it was freaking terrifying to make that decision. And in fact, the first time it came to me, it came out of nowhere. I was in the process of just getting used to like, I just passed my, my testing again. And I'm talking the financial advisors I worked with about different opportunities. And there were things going on there that made it, you know, not extremely ideal. And I was kind of getting skeptical if there really was much opportunity there as well. But regardless, they just came to me of like, nope, you're doing photography. And I'm just like, oh, that's scary. I don't know if I actually want that uncertainty and all of that. But it was so evident to me that that really is my path, that I need that even if I'm, you know, a starving artist, but I, I know me and I know that I, you know, I'll get to the goals I want to get to and I'll create the life I want to, I want to create, but it's, um, it's definitely, yeah. It's a You've lot. been good at uh, denying who you really are. Yes, I'm great at that. <laughs> and having it hit you anyway, like a two yeah. by four. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Yes. How are, how is the relationship with Justin now and the situation with your daughter and has that, gotten better and then we can kind of end on a happy note that you are uh doing photography so yeah yeah everything's um honestly everything's really good I mean I feel finally just weight lifted in every way I mean Mm -hmm. I um everything with uh my ex-husband with Justin is good he sees I really am gay he's like okay glad I dodged that bullet you know he's in the beginning it was like what if I'm not you know yeah like what happens if I go out there and I realize this is all just some weird thing and I'm not actually gay like could I come back and because you know we loved each other and I was like this kind of this big more than a hunch more of an internal realization and um I think for him seeing like okay no this really was real he's able to completely let go now and um our relationship is fine it's good i mean it's we even even totally friendly he lives only seven minutes away we do 50 50 he's an amazing dad and we're both you know we do things together we go to the pumpkin patch together we um we're able to to yeah do stuff together with her for her good loves it so um everything so let's end on embracing who you are yeah yeah um what would what would you encourage someone else um don't make my mistakes of uh of denying who you are constantly (laughs) i would encourage people to if something's wrong if you feel like something's wrong just listen and don't be afraid to listen and that living authentically and congruently to who you are is so important. And when you don't, it's just things, it's going to come up anyway, but not in a good way, or it's going to be harder. It's going to be much harder than if you just listen the first time. Thank you so much for being on Amber. I really appreciate it. Your story is really astounding and uh, I'm very thankful. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you for taking the time to get naked with us. If you'd like to bear it all with me, get in touch. Your story is unique and valuable. Let's show it off.